we know about you only because you have chosen to inform us. Father, we know your love for us simply by the fact that we know you exist. Father, we are grateful to know this great God. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all think about that every once in a while. Even when we think of something like natural revelation, the revelation of God that we would receive or understand or know about from the created world around us, even that is available to us only because God has deemed it so. God has chosen to reveal Himself, and so we know Him. God's grace is known to us, or excuse me, is shown to us simply in the fact that we know God exists. And you know what? My... my I, I sat up here for like five minutes trying to figure out how to, how to make this thing work right, and I step up here, and it just magically does it. I don't know why things, I don't understand why life doesn't always cooperate. I'm talking about this iPad. You know, I was, I, it, it, never mind, it doesn't matter. The point is, Brian, I may need to borrow your reading glasses before it's over with, because on my screen it was massive, and on this screen it's not. But hopefully we can get through this. I can, I can just stretch it a little bit. There we are. Okay, be still. Revelation, that's what we're talking about. But that's not what we're going to focus on most tonight. Um, usually when we talk about discipleship, if we're not careful, especially we as Westerners, especially we as Western evangelicals, especially we as Southern Baptists who have had our discipleship given to us in cans for a long, long period of time. And I'm not saying that negatively. I'm just saying like, like Lifeway, so the Southern, Baptist, the Southern Baptists figured out a formula, and the formula was that we need to create some good curriculum, we need to give it out to everybody, and so they created the Sunday School Board, and the Sunday School Board created Sunday School lessons and Sunday School curriculum and, and, and uh, quarterlies, and they sent it all out to us, and it shook it up real good, and they handed it to us, and we began to believe that discipleship was all about the transfer of information, Okay. Now, their goal was never to say that it's only that, but what we began to believe is that real discipleship is learning things. And if you learn enough things, then you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you attend enough K. Arthur studies, then you love Jesus. If you go to enough Sunday school classes, you love Jesus. And Tom and, and, and Robert and I were standing in the hallway, and I needed a good illustration for tonight, and you gave it to me, and you don't, know, you don't even know you did. You don't know it. But when one day... My beautiful daughters, there's going to be some snot-nosed fellow that walks in the door and he says, I think I want to marry your daughter. Y'all pray for that guy. Y'all pray, pray for this guy in that day, okay? Do you know that in that moment, I'm not going to ask him what he knows? I don't care what he knows. I want to know who he is. Vody Balkum wrote a book, said, What he must be if he wants to marry my daughter. We focus on discipleship as a what do I know? The knowing matters. But Jesus is very concerned with who we are. What are we going to be? And if all of that knowledge, that learning, does not transform, Form us into a thing, a something, and we've still not grasped the idea of honoring Christ. He's interested in making us into something, holy, usable vessels for His glory and His 
good purposes. Now, if you don't believe me, let's turn to the book of Galatians real quick. I did this with our students. And we could go to lots of other passages of Scripture in the Bible. We're going to go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Now, we could walk through what the works of the flesh are. We're going to hit some of those. We're not going to hit them all. But the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. Okay? That's, that's the highlights. Now, the works of the flesh, you'll notice, are things that you do. Okay? Now, let's go to the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Let's do it together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I think I even mentioned this in my sermon on last Sunday morning. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is not the things that you do. The fruit of the Spirit are the character traits of who you are. He doesn't say you must go love things. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love. You are a loving person. You are a kind person. You are a kind person. You are a patient person. Because God... Somebody said, "Uh, yeah. I said you, not me. You are a patient person. Okay, this is the kind of person that God is forming you into through His Word and through His Spirit. There's a reason why if we turn to 1 Timothy, we turn to Titus, we look at the qualifications for those who are called to lead God's church. They are character qualifications. It's not a list of the things, the check boxes that you make. Why? Because anybody can be a legalist. Not everybody can be a godly person. You understand? God is interested in forming us into particular kinds of people. Now, what I'm going to try and do to, do, do to you, with you, for you, together tonight, is I'm going to try and, 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 and work through a thing that I actually worked through with a group of parents regarding the children. So what we're going to do tonight is going to be especially geared for parents and grandparents, but I want us to see it not only in the way that we apply these truths to our children, but we apply these truths to our own life. Because God is concerned with the person that we are becoming. And the person that we are becoming is more than the things that we are learning. Many of the things that are shaping you in your life are shaping you unconsciously. They're shaping you through your habits and your experiences. We like to live in these worlds where I can read my Bible and as long as I'm a thinking thing that learns this stuff, then I've brought in some good things and nothing else matters. The reality is 90% of the things you do throughout the course of your day, you don't even think about. They're things that take place out of habit. And those habits have been formed by other habits that you have and those habits have been formed. We would like to think that all of our habits have been informed by what in the ancients would say in a a theological way. Uh, term would say by the telos that we have by the end goal that we have but listen if my end goal is what's shaping my habits all the time let me assure you I wouldn't have eaten that cake at lunch today right because that cake at lunch today did not serve my end goal that cake at lunch served my immediate goal I was at the gym the other day, which happens about once a week, and somebody said, I plan to have a six-pack by the summer. And she said, I want to have abs. I said, I gave up that thought a long time ago. That is not my telos. This is not my goal. Now, 
So, so tonight we're going to operate off the assumption that we long to be God people who are characterized by godly character and godly character traits. And that we desire as parents and grandparents to train up and raise up children who are characterized by godly character. Okay? And with all of that being said, one recent study says 65% of parents say that technology is the number one reason why raising kids is harder today than it was. And I would say that if that's true, then technology is also one of the number one reasons why honoring Christ might at least appear to be harder today than it used to be. Now, I want to argue that it's not harder today than it used to be. We've always found something to do other than give Jesus our time, okay? But it sure is easy just to pull this thing out and allow it to distract me all the time. It's always there. Always. In the grocery store checkout line. How many of you have gotten up at early in the morning to get, get time in God's Word, only to be distracted by the Weather Channel and then the video that came up on the Weather Channel and then... Like, like Brian's sitting here, and he and I love weather, so, I mean, it's, it's bad. Like, our wives would tell you it's really bad. Um, and we, if, if we get, a, I, I can't look at the Weather Channel first thing in the morning. Because if I see it, and they begin talking about a storm system, I want to know about that. I want to know about it. How many of you have done that? You might want to raise their hand when that, that phone took you away from the thing you wanted to do. All right. So, my goal here tonight is for us, for us to think more carefully, not only about how technology um, and especially specific or specifically digital technology, but even all of the habits of our life are shaping us for good and for ill and affecting the goal that we have of growing in fruit of the Spirit, showing the fruit of the Spirit. All right? Now, what's the oldest song in history? You might know. Oldest number one hit. Number, I should say the oldest number one hit in history. It's Turn, Turn, Turn by the birds. Right? No, it's not Amazing Grace. It's Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. And the reason is, is because they didn't write a song at all. They just stole it right out of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote Turn, Turn, Turn himself, and the birds put it to music, and in the 60s it was apparently a good idea. Now, um, and, and, and it teaches us that for everything there's a season and a time for every matter in heaven. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, uh, and of course that's what the birds sang to us. And we begin to think about the ways that we interact with the world around us, and we interact with technology. There, there are two wrong ways for us to approach this. The first is to assume that all technology is bad. Okay? And if all technology is bad, then what we do is we have to get off the grid. We have to quit having electricity. Uh, we, we, we cut off. I mean, this is kind of what Angela wants to do because she's sort of a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know, we, we begin to assume that China owns the Internet and everyone's spying on us and the Russians are coming. And so we've got to find a way to get rid of everything. All right. And you buy a bicycle, you stop buying gas. Look at her. She's grin. Y'all, y'all, y'all don't turn around and look at her. You'll make it worse. But she knows it's true. It's, she's just worried about it. So that's the first is to assume it's all bad and we should shun all forms of technology. If it's new, it's bad. Okay? And we become Amish, except even the Amish are hypocritical, aren't they? Because they still find a way to use all sorts of things that are modern conveniences as long as it's pneumatic and all these other things. The second option is for us to embrace it all without a second thought. And I, I, I believe that this is where most evangelical Southern Baptist people fall in line today. Most of us embrace everything the world throws at us without a second thought as to what it may be doing to us. 
We think only about what it might do for us without carefully questioning what in the world it might do to us. If we don't learn to put technology in its proper place, we will miss out on many of the best parts of life, and especially the best parts of life in a family. So, um, tonight, as we think about how, how technology and other things affect us, recognize that technology can only be good if it helps us to become the people that God wants us to be. The people that He wants us to be. Now, a lot of people will talk about how much I can learn, but what if God is interested with a lot more than just what we learn, and He's interested in what we've become and what we are becoming and the kind of people that we're shaping to follow after us. We, when we consume technology and allow our children to consume technology, I'm using that term, not use, I'm saying consume. And under the age of about eight, no kid is actually using technology. Under the age of eight years old, digital technology is consumed. Why? Because their brains don't work well enough for them to write term papers. They're not actually using it to research anything. We as parents are using it to distract them so that we don't have to deal with them. Okay? So let's just be honest about what it is. Under the age of about eight years old, and that might be young, they're just consuming it. Now, consumption of it without limits... Uh, forces allows our children and us to miss out on real interaction with each other and we miss out on shared experiences and we miss out on actual communication i know i'm boring you to death we're getting there in a minute just be patient okay we miss out on actual communication we miss out on shared experiences and we miss out on allowing the world around us the natural world and outdoors and the people around us to shape us and what's shaping us instead is this and it's dangerous now, we talk about all the dangerous things that these things do. Do you know what I believe is the most dangerous thing that this thing does? It teaches children and adults that no one need ever worry about anything called delayed gratification. This teaches me that I am in control and that at the push of a button, I get everything I want and that's the way the world is supposed to be. Now, for those of you, parents listen, grandparents listen, for those of you that are dealing with four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve year olds that are pitching tantrums all the time because they didn't get their way, you need to ask how much time they're having access to this. Because every time you told them no, what you did is worked against their prevailing worldview. And their prevailing worldview is everything is a yes to me because when I push that button, it operates and does what I tell it to do. And when you tell me no, then you didn't work the way you were supposed to work. This is a broken system. Okay? So that's, that's when we are consuming, when our children are consuming. And it's not just this, by the way. This is just what's in front of me. A television remote, what does it do? It does exactly what I tell it to do, exactly when I say. I watch Wyatt playing a video game. He's not very good at it. Ah, oh, he is paying attention. I thought he was ignoring me. See? But you know what I notice? I notice that that video game does everything he tells it to do as soon as he tells it to do it. Now, when we play and I beat him and he gripes and he wants to say, uh, the reality is it did exactly what he told it to do and mine did exactly what I told it to do. Okay? That's what we're teaching our kids. We're teaching them you're in control and the world bows to you. Y'all, we need to be terrified because we have raised a generation of children who are hopeless. And as a result of their hopelessness, they are doing all sorts of terrible things. And our world is such a scary place for our kids. 
And at some point, as adults, we got to look in the mirror and say, what have we done wrong? Maybe we've taught them that this world exists only for their satisfaction and they should get everything they want as soon as they want it. And maybe we did it because we didn't actually think about the things that have been given to us. Steve Jobs is dead, but you know Steve Jobs wouldn't allow his kids to have an iPad or an iPhone. Y'all know that? Do you know that? He wouldn't allow them to have it because he knew what it was and he knew what it could do to his kids. And yet we take it all in hook, line, and sinker because we're not really all that concerned with what we're creating, only with what people are learning because that's what Christianity is. As long as you can recite your Bible verses, but God's concerned with the whole person. And as families, we've got to be concerned with creating the whole person. So tonight, as we think about three choices we can make in our homes that will dictate the way that our homes shape us. That's right, our homes shape us because the culture around us shapes us. And your home is the culture in which you spend most of your time. I know you got work and all other stuff, but if we take everything away and we say, where's the place where you're going to spend uh, all the hours, that's going to be the place, okay? Three choices we can make in our home to help us to grow and display the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, we want to choose character. We want to choose character. We want to choose godly character. Make the mission of your family the cultivation of wisdom and character. Bill talked about Ecclesiastes. I, I, I wrote it down. I stole his, his quote. I'm going to botch it a little bit. He said something like, uh, advice. The wise don't need it and fools won't heed it. Wisdom is a command of God's Word. The Bible says sell everything and get wisdom. Your home should be the place where your children are molded into wise, brave, courageous adults. Now this isn't all about technology, but technology can rob us of these opportunities. Because as long as they're sitting in front of whatever technology they have, they're not learning to ride a bicycle and to be brave enough to ride it even though they're going to skin their knee in the process. They're not learning to climb a tree and not be afraid of that tree. As long as they're sitting in front of that TV and, hey, you are sitting in front of that TV, you know what you're not doing? You're not wrestling with your kid. You're not praying with your kid. You're not playing with your kid. Well, this is all about kids. Why did I come? I don't have any children in my home because guess what? It's shaping and molding you too. You say, well, I got up and did my quiet time this morning. Great. And, and, and I, I pray that you get up every morning and spend time in God's Word. But if you spent 20 minutes in God's Word and you spend three or four hours the rest of the day consuming things that are opposed to the things of the Lord, what is that making you into? Now listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the guy that swears off everything in the world. I'm not that guy. I'm not moving to a monastery. Okay? I don't listen to only Christian music, and some of you do, and that, I don't, I don't, I'm not judging you for that. So I'm just saying, like, I'm not that guy. I just want to make sure that we recognize that the things that we are exposing ourselves to and exposing our children to are changing us. And it's not just the information that these things are communicating. It's the very habits that these things are communicating. And it's what these things are robbing us of. Think about the way that organized sports is robbing us of, of, of time with our kids. And I, I mean that. Like, as, as a parent, I mean that. 
I had a, I had a, a parent look at me on the ball field um, uh, one day this week. Guy that, that I've known from baseball through the years, he said, Craig, he said, we are not playing All-Stars this year. I said, man, why not? Man, you used to coach. What, what's the story? He said, I, I just, I looked at my kids and said, we need to go have a family vacation and baseball can't run our lives. Man, I, that's, that's, amen. Right? What, what is, if we're not careful, how do we allow all of these things to rob us of who we're supposed to be? Technology can rob us of so many opportunities. Research has shown the single most important thing you can do as a family to help your family grow is what? Y'all have heard me say this like a million times. What's the single most important thing? Now, I'm talking about secular research and everything else. What's the single most important thing you can do? Huh? Eat together. Eat a meal together around, face-to-face uh, -face with one another five times a week. Kids who do that have reduced rates of teen pregnancy. They have reduced rates of disease. They have reduced rates of obesity. They have increased rates of graduation. We're only talking about secular things. We're not even talking about what it means for them in their spiritual walk. When they gather around a table and they see mom and dad reading God's word to them and praying with them. So what if they don't pick up on all the things? We're, they're being shaped and molded. I love what Buster says. His, his boys talk about what a great home they grew up in and all the, the family devotions they had. He said... He says, they, he says, God does something to a child's, a child's memory between childhood and adulthood. He said, because I'm going to tell you, our house wasn't always the way that they make it out to be. He said, we did the best we could, and God has been gracious to fill in the gaps. Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to be people of godly character and raise them to be people of godly character. But it's not just about our children. This is about husbands and wives. It's about us as, as, as individuals. What's it look like to actually be in relationship with other people, sit across the table and enjoy a meal without the TV on, without all the distractions, okay? Around the table, your children learn how to interact as adults, Side note, this is not about Jesus. This is, just about, uh, this is just about creating adults. Take your children out to eat occasionally. I, and, and budget for it. Save the money. I, look, I got four kids. It ain't free. I get it. It costs money. Take them to restaurants where they have to sit down. Okay? Why? I don't care. It's La Fiesta. If you got four kids, guess what? You can go to La Fiesta and feed everybody uh, uh, um, a taco and let them eat chips, and you can get out of there for, for 25 bucks. Okay? You got to be careful. You can't let them order the drinks. But you got you to order for them, all right? Because if they get the drinks, it's over with. No cheese. Everybody's eating salsa. But you can get out. You could, all right? It'd be tough. But you know what they'll have to learn to do? They have to sit, learn to sit at a table. They have to learn to be quiet. They have to learn to be appropriate. What do you teach your children if the server comes to take an order and you offer to pray with that server? You teach your children a little bit at a time to begin to be evangelistic. You teach them to be considerate about the people around them. You let them see how much that food they're ordering costs. Because even though we don't want them to go and talk to other people about how much it costs, you want to understand there's a sacrifice involved. The world doesn't rise up to meet them. You want them to see you leave a tip on the table. And you want them to understand that generosity is a command of the Lord. Do you understand how we are shaping them through the things that we do, not just the things that we say? Do you not think they're watching us? Go home and gripe about the church every week. Talk about the preacher. I know none of y'all do, but let's just say you do that. Sit around the table every day and talk about what a sorry sermon it was, what a sorry preacher he was, and then come and gripe to me in 10 years when your children have nothing to do with the church. You created that. 
What do you want him to be? What must he be if he's going to marry my daughter? Tell me this. What must your children be? Let's, let's back this up. What must you be raising your son to be if you want him to marry my daughter? And what had I better be raising my sons and daughters to be if I want to raise them up to marry your children? What's it look like? Choose character. Godly character. Have an end in mind. Think about what your goal is and then think about what the habits are that you need to create. If godly character is your goal, tell me this. We could have, man, we're running out of time. We could have fun. But let's just do this real quick. If godly character is my goal, I'm not asking what you do in your home. Let's have a blank slate. If godly character is your goal, let's name some of the things that you would do on a regular basis in your home. I'd love to hear from some of you senior adults too because y'all been there. If, God, if your goal is to create godly character, what are some of the things you'll do in your home? Give me one. Pray. Pray. Okay, give me another one. Bible study. Give me another one. Chores. Chores. Because if you don't work, you don't eat. That's in God's Word, isn't it? What else? Tell the, truth. Tell the truth. Always, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. That's right. What else? Keep your word. Keep your word. Even when it's hard. Hard work. hard work. Who said that? Somebody said that. Why wasn't that you, Ted? Shouldn't you be doing hard work? What else? What, are the, what else? Commit. Commit. Oh, that's a solid one right there. Okay? Discipline, okay? Hmm? Perseverance. Do things without grumbling and complaining because that's in God's Word too. And somebody said perseverance. That's in God's Word. They need to see us persevering through tasks that are hard without griping about it because that's in God's Word. And they're going to be who I am. Now, think about this. Does your life look like that on a regular basis? The average person in America consumes something like three or four hours of television a day. For kids, it's higher than that. Tell me how you have time to do all those things if, if that's what's, what's going on in your life most of the time. Again, I'm not anti-TV. Sunday nights are the nights. Angel and I will probably watch a movie before we go to bed tonight. I don't know. We didn't take a nap, so we might just go to bed. Okay? All right, so choose character. Have the end in mind. Think about. But, but again, this isn't just about our children, is it? Have the end goal in your mind of what it is that you believe God's called you to be as a person, a man, a woman of godly character. And think about what are the habits that you need to create to get there. And then think about what are the things in your life right now that are in the way of you getting there. Then have the fortitude to cut those things out. Now, number two, uh, shape space. Make space, make choices about your home that puts the development of character and creativity in you and in your children's life at the center of your home, in the heart of your home. I'm going to say that again because I'm getting some confused looks. Make choices about your home that puts the development of character and creativity at the heart of your home. When people come into your home, what is the, what, when they, they walk around in your house, if somebody had to walk through your home and go, hmm, Based on what I'm experiencing in this home right now, this is what I believe to be the most important things in this family. Now just think about it, okay? Now, how many TVs are in your home? Don't, don't say it out loud. Yeah, I know how many's in my home, but thanks, honey. I know. Right? How, how many iPads are in the home? How many computers are in the home? How many? Okay, now, 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 now say this. If my desire is to build character around things other than the consumption of technology, other than around um, entertainment, other than around ease. If that's my desire to build that in my own life and in the life of my children, have, have I created a situation where my home cultivates that? 
Does your home cultivate good conversations? I mean, and, and I'm serious about this. Have you actually created situ- spot places in your home where the furniture is arranged in such a way that people would actually communicate with each other? You say, Craig, this sounds a little crazy. How are we leading somebody to Jesus? You bring lost people into your home. You have the furniture arranged in such a place where they'll actually communicate and see what you might be able to do. But if you bring lost people in your home, the only thing you do is turn TV on. Guess what you never do? You never get around to Jesus, do you? You don't. What is it? When's the last time that you sat down with your spouse in a room in your house and you didn't turn the TV on, you just actually talked? When you sat down in a room with your children and you didn't turn TV on, you just talked? Where they were exposed to things that helped them to do hard things and to shape them into that. How do you do Do you do all of the work in your life where your children can't see you do it? Do you do all the work? Do you wait till they go to bed at night to do all the work? Why is that dangerous? If you do it all when they go to bed or before they get up, it's dangerous because they never actually see work getting done. They assume they live like in the Jetsons and they go to bed and everything gets fixed and they get up and everything's brand new again. When's the last time that your kids came in and helped make breakfast? Again, these things seem small and you go, well, what does this have to do with God's Word? Again, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's right here. Do all things as unto the Lord. It's right here. God's called us to be contributors to society. It's right here. That's not at the expense of the gospel, but the gospel should be shaping us into the kinds of people that God created us to be. Adam and Eve were put into the garden, not just to live a life of bliss and ease and do nothing. They were put there to cultivate that garden, to grow things and to build things and to make things. We we have this tendency to believe that when the fall came about, all of a sudden Adam and Eve had to work. Adam and Eve had to work from the very beginning. It was a part of God's created and intended and designed order. The only thing that changed was that after the fall, work became hard. It brought about sweat and pain and struggle and toil. But what didn't go away at the fall was the satisfaction of a job well done. Because we were created in God's image. And when we do something well and we step back and we go, wow, look at that. We're excited about it because there's something of God's image within us that screams to do what He does. Children get, or women get to do this way better than men because women get to birth children. They begin to participate in that process. Look at this. What's it look like to create those spaces in your home where you and your children are being shaped not only by the technology and the other things around you, you're being shaped by godly practices and godly habits. I'm going to say this out loud. And then I'm just going to leave it right here. If you have a TV in your kitchen or your dining room, you're not doing this right. Okay? My grandma did. I grew up with it. We liked it. And we sat at the lunch table when I went to my grandma's house. And we watched, um, we watched, uh, what you call that show in the mornings at 11, The Price is Right. And then we watched the news. And that TV was always on. And you know what we didn't do at that table? We love The Price is Right, and we love to watch the news, but I couldn't tell you a thing we ever talked about at that table. But I can still remember Bob Barker holding that little skinny microphone. All right? Shape space. And then finally, structure time. Build rhythms into your lives on a daily, weekly, and even annual basis when your kids and you are, 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 are investing in, in one another and investing in God's Word. Build time when your kids are... First of all, build time when your kids are allowed to have access to technology. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying create time when they're not allowed. I'm saying that, that the default position should be they're not allowed. Okay? 
what you create is an allowance for them to have access to that. There's a difference. Our default position should be that you don't need that. Okay, it's, a, it's, 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 it's not where we just go to veg out all the time. We're not consumers. God didn't create consumers. He created us to be what? Creators, cultivators, givers, changers. Build rhythms. Okay, build them into your own life. There's got to be times in your life when you put the technology away and you put it down. Okay, and I'm bad. Y'all, I got to fight it. My wife is really good about doing this to me. But at the dinner table, they're, they're, we don't do phones at the dinner table. They got to go somewhere else. And listen, I got to put it in another room because that thing will buzz and it'll drive me nuts. I got to go see what's going on. I need to go plug it up in the bedroom because otherwise I'm, I'm bad about it. Okay? Build regular time when you're just going to be away from it. Me and Angela took the kids hiking um, several weeks ago and uh, went up to, where'd we go? Up to Greenville. She's not looking. Jones Gap State Park. That's where we went. And there was zero cell phone service. For, I don't know, we were five, six hours. Nothing. You know what it was? Amazing. Why? It was amazing because I was not even tempted. The only time I got my phone out was to take a picture of the kids. It was great. The kids couldn't say, hey, what is this? Let's Google it and see what it is. No, we're just, we're just in the moment. In the moment. Living in the moment. That's one of our goals in, as a family. Okay. Structure time, but, but build rhythms not only when things aren't allowed. Build, build special time into your regular life when, when you're, you're in God's Word. Make sure that you set up space and time to be in the Word of God. Listen to me. Your kids need to see you in this. They need to see it. Now, there's all sorts of reasons I have for why I'm not a fan of digital Bibles. Okay, There's a million of them. All right? And that means like on your phone or on your iPad. Okay, and, and there's, we don't have time for all that. There are lots of reasons. But the number one reason for me, for those of you who have children in your home or grandchildren that come to your home, the number one reason for me is they have no idea what this is. As far as they know, you're watching reruns of Andy Griffith, okay, or looking up your next hunting adventure or whatever you do. I don't know. They have no idea. Even on my Kindle, which doesn't do anything but allow me to read books. They don't have a clue if I'm reading a Tom Clancy novel or if I'm reading this or that. But when they see this, when they see this, they know what's happening. My children need to catch me in the Word of God. That means that, yes, as a parent, you're going to have your best time usually when they're not awake. I get it. But they need to catch you in this. You don't need to only be in the Word when they're asleep or they're out of the house or you're out of the house. They need to see you in it. Because why? Because your goal is to shape them into something for God's glory. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Now, we're trusting that the Holy Spirit is the primary shaper of that character. But until such time as God saves them, and even thereafter, as we are their primary disciplers in, their, in our home, it is our job to come alongside them in that character shaping. Now, I know what I'm talking about seems a bit radical. I get it. But I also know that it's okay for our families to be different. 
I know that it's okay for us to desire more than them to be cute and prissy. We want godly adults. We want them to grow up and be following Jesus radically, passionately. And I want you to be following Jesus radically and passionately. And all the things that I've said here tonight might be geared more for how it is that we are raising our children, but it all fits us to a T. Because we can allow everything in the world to drown out the character-shaping Word of God. Is this part of why having ourselves involved in a local church is so incredibly important? Because Brian Chestnut and I are incredibly different people. And Ginger and I are this different. Okay? And it's good for us to rub up against one another sometimes and for me to frustrate her or him, and for them to frustrate me because in that process, God is shaping us and He's molding us and He's changing us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We tend to look at that as these fancy little accountability groups. We're going to go, hey, hey, did you read your Bible this week? Yeah, that should be a part of it. Have you loved your wife? Well, that should be a part. But you know what? One of the ways that God sharpens me up is by putting people in my life that rub me the wrong way. Have you ever sharpened something with a stone? It's not a pretty process. What are you doing? You're taking that stone, that rock, and you're shaving metal off. Have you ever had somebody shave things off of you? It is not comfortable. It's not easy. So it's a little crazy. I get it. It's nuts. To have a dad look at me and say, my son could do this, but we're not going to play all-star baseball because we are going to invest in our family this summer. That's crazy. That's nuts. Why would you dare do that? This kid's going to be the next major league all-star. He's not. Neither is mine. You can do this. Start small and use these steps right here. Choose character. Spend time with your kids and your spouse and your family. Spend time with them. Cook with them. Play with them. Interact with them. Cook with each other. Play with one another. Interact. Do it. This means we've got to change who we are. I've got to take... So, so like in my own life, one of the things... I, I, I love lifting. I love to be in the gym and work. I love it. I, I do. I, I like to bench 400 pounds. It is fun. It is enjoyable to me. And I don't care if you like it or not. I would love to set a goal of squatting 600, and I'd I'd like to work toward that. And again, I don't care if you like it or not. I enjoy it. I like the, 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 the passion of it. But right now in my life, there's not another human being in my household that will benefit from that activity with me, except in as much as I relieve stress in that process, and then they all benefit from it. Right? And so for me right now, some of my some of my desires have to be adjusted. Because, because I need to make the most use of my time in trying to shape and mold my children. So even my hobbies have to be adjusted. I can't go and spend as much time there as I might like. Because Aubrey needs me to go run with her. And Wyatt needs me to throw the ball. And Brooklyn needs me to run and play and, and work with her. And Sloan just wants me to throw him on the bed 117 times a day. 
That's right. I got the thumbs up back there. And so for right now, some of my, even my fitness hobbies have to be altered and to make me uncomfortable because my desire is much greater than just me. It's to shape me and my family. Choose character. Structure space. Make sure there is a place in your home where you and your children can work puzzles and play board games and color pictures without the intrusion of TV or other electronic devices where you actually have to sit across the table from one another and actually interact. Actually interact. Scrabble, love it. Monopoly, listen, there is no better family time, I'm, I'm convinced, than to start a game of Monopoly on Sunday afternoon and finish it somewhere along the way on Saturday until somebody else comes along and actually hits the table and knocks everything off and then everybody just has to get mad because we don't know who won. You say, Craig, what does that have to do with loving Jesus? has a whole lot to do with actually interacting with one another across a table, talking about what life looks like, what's it mean to structure character, be a person, a man, a woman after God's own heart. And then finally, structure time. Start tonight. Start tonight. What's it look like structure time? How do, how do, you, how do you structure it? What's it how, how, do, how do you make the time? This is just for parents and kids, grandparents, if you help them raise them. Okay, start tonight if you've never done this. If your kids go to bed with an iPad or a TV on, just go cold turkey and cut it off right now. Just stop. Just stop. Well, it helps them to sleep. No, it's changing them. It's shaping them. It's molding them. And it's teaching them that the world bows down to meet them. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll learn this world doesn't bow down to meet anybody. As a matter of fact, what you'll learn, that's, I, I, I want to just disagree a little bit with Bill this morning. Because actually, I believe what happened. I, I think that Solomon was our, our very first hedonist. He mentioned Oscar Wilde, and Oscar Wilde was famous. His most famous book is called The Picture of Dorian Gray. The Picture of Dorian Gray is, a, is, a, is a, a, basically a parable about a man who lives an incredibly hedonistic life, and he pursues everything that the world has to offer him. And in the end, after he has gotten everything that he wanted... He's still miserable. The picture of Dorian Gray, he finds out that he's lived this life as a young man, but it didn't matter how hard he worked to avoid age and ugly, it still caught up with him one day. You know, what's really terrifying to me about the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon lived the American dream. He lived the American dream. If I saw it and I wanted it, I had it. I took it, I bought it, I built it, I shaped it. And listen, when he says I built it, remember, he didn't build it. He paid somebody to build it, or he just used slave labor. Whatever my eyes saw that I wanted, I had it. And at the end, it was all vanity. I was depressed and alone. Sounds kind of like the generation of children that we've raised, doesn't it? They've gotten everything in the world they wanted. If their eyes saw it, they got it. And in the end, we find these high school students that are hopelessly depressed because it turns out that having everything they ever wanted still didn't satisfy their deepest needs and longings. Man's deepest need and longings to know and be known by Christ.
the fruit of the Spirit. Huh, let's back up. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul was writing to a bunch of legalistic Galatians, and he says, you find those Judaizers, and you have them show how this could ever possibly be wrong. We've got a goal. God's given it to us. Let's pursue it with all of our heart. Let's work to shape habits that get us there. I want you to consume lots of information, but God's more concerned with who you're becoming than what you know. The demons know and shudder who you're going to be. Let's pray. Father God, make us into your people, godly people, people of the book. Shape us and mold us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you tonight.